Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew, with Shaking in Betweeners. <sighs> okay. What's up, man? <laughs> nothing, nothing. You do you. You do you. <laughs> Dude, the, the other time when I said something different, you said it threw you off, so I went back to what I was saying before. I would prefer to be thrown off a hundred times out of a hundred times than, than to... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> so am I, am I just so unpredictable that even when you predict that I'm going to do the unpredictable thing, I'm still throwing you off? I don't think it's an all the time thing. I, I just thought I just when you do what I expect you to do, I there's a part in my heart that just shudders from pure white hot rage. And then every <laughs> other time it's it's surprise. And me not necessarily n- knowing what to do with what I'm being given. Yeah, that's all. You know I, what I we just... could do is, is we could write down a script, record it once, and then just play that before every episode. No, no. It's, it's think, a me I think thing. that's what some professional podcasts do. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily respect that. I, uh, well... No, that's not true. I I have some respect for people who uh want to produce something of that caliber and that quality, which is fine, but that's just not how I personally prefer to do it. I just I I I shudder at the thought of calling people who listen to us by any name. Maybe I'm a contrarian of some sort. I don't I don't want to give a, our fan base a, a title that we bestow upon them. I think it's Hey, a couple months me. ago, you were calling people gutter trash. Yeah, but that was more for my personal amusement. That wasn't necessarily an appeal to some artificial sense of community. I'm calling them in-betweeners out of my own personal amusement. Yeah, but that does nothing for me. It leaves me flaccid. I'm a limp noodle over here. I'm a there is nothing I can do noodle. to assist you in there's plenty that you could do to unlimp my noodle there is nothing i am willing to do to unlimp your noodle as of right now hearing the hesitation and the discomfort in your voice i can feel my noodle firming and unlimping (laughs) you empower me drew you empower me well, uh, that's that's what I'm here for. If I'm not if I'm not throwing you off and making you uncomfortable, I'm empowering you. So, call it what it is. You are unlimping my noodle, and I am a man who likes a hard noodle. Anyways, <laughs> that was a that was a long intro, everyone. That was a long intro. You got to see what goes on here behind the scenes. Just to know what our dynamic is like like in real life. But yeah. on to our episode. It has been a long time coming. We have been building to this for the better part of a year. And today we have finally arrived. We is here. We are going to discuss the final year of Invincible. This is what, year 12, is it, Drew? Yep. Well, technically, I think the comic might have been in publication for closer to around maybe 15 years when you factor in 
different delays in the shipping schedule and whatnot. But right, in terms right. of like the year's worth of issues, this is year 12 and or volume 12 of the, you know, if we take each set of 12 issues as a single year. One year. Yeah. 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 Yeah, again, a little bit of behind-the-scenes magic of just how we do our work and how we justify things. Um, but yeah, this is, in terms of how many comics have been put out, about the 12th year of stories mm -hmm. uh, for Invincible. So this is the final arc. Uh, you mind going over the creatives behind it? Sure. So we are talking about Invincible, issues 133 to 144 which encompasses volumes 24 and 25 of the trade paperbacks. Invincible is created by Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker. Written by Robert Kirkman, this set of issues was penciled and inked by Ryan Otley and Corey Walker, who did some pages in the final issue. Dexter Vines and Mark Morales also contributed as inkers over Ryan Otley's pages. Nathan Fairbairn was the colorist, Russ Wooten was the letterer, Sean Makovich was the editor. And we are at the end of all things. Yep, that is the title for the, the last two books, The End of All Things Part 1 and The End of All Things Part 2. Is there a sitcom called The End of All Things, Albert? I don't think there is. It, it, it would have been hard to come up with something quite so fitting i think so uh I'll, I'll i'm willing to double check that and if i'm wrong i'm more than willing to correct myself uh or correct us in on instagram or even in the the next episode that comes up as as a corrections but i'm pretty sure i have never heard of a tv show or a sitcom that was titled the end of all things um and just you know for our listeners just so you guys know that that matters because um in invincible we mentioned this in the past but robert kirkman when he was writing these stories he named each of the arcs in the trade paperbacks after sitcom names you know mm -hmm. which was pretty funny pretty clever you know nice little nod to all of those who grew up in the 80s 90s with uh you know, just TV sitcoms. Yeah. So, uh, should we, do you want to do like a quick, just general impressions of the story uh, without giving away uh, details? Or you would you prefer just to go into it whole hog and just, you know, give the people the the all the meat of the sandwich? Yeah, let's just give everybody your noodles, man. I think we've gotten to the point in in our read through where if we're, if someone's gonna listen to us talk about volume twelve, I don't think it's the time to hold back in terms of spoilers. So we can just yeah, you can you can you can just give them all the noodles, man. Okay, all right. So where we are in the story is when we last left off. Uh, Mark Grayson slash Invincible has flashed forwarded five years into the future. His family has 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 uh, grown in in his absence, and the world has changed. But circumstances are now finally coming to a head as 
Thrag, the exiled Viltrumite, has finally marshaled his forces and um, they've they've made an attack on Mark and Adam Eve and you know his family, and ultimately it culminated in the death of his brother Oliver, and Mark is now ready for the final battle. He's going to get revenge, and he's going to bring an end to this long-standing conflict between mm -hmm. him and Thrag, or, you know, I guess Thrag being a representative vestige of the Veltramite threat that came in very early at the beginning of the series. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's where the story picks up. Are there any details, uh, specific things or uh, items that you wanted to include uh, just in terms of context? I guess in terms of context, we can just pick up where things left off at the end of the previous batch of issues. We had Mark's brother, Oliver, die in battle. So Mark and... His family are basically reeling from from what happened. Uh, then there's also all the stuff that's going on back on Earth with Rex Robot having established a totalitarian state. Or, yeah. I mean, I guess I guess he cut down on crime and enhanced people's lives in in most ways. They don't even really realize that that uh you know that they've kind of lost some freedoms or that there's basically a, a a self-proclaimed uh, benevolent dictator leading them, but there are still there's still a small faction of heroes that knows what Robot has done, and they they don't appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, the story feels like it goes back and forth between the idea of him as as a villain, but then other times he's he's a, a circumstance that they've. I don't know if they've necessarily made peace with, but they've just resigned themselves to, you know? He's the status quo, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, seeing as how we've come to the end of of uh, of Invincible Story Arc, we finally get to see what, what position Mark is finally going to take on, on his role. We're, we're going to finally get to see how that all plays out, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what ends up happening is Thrag and his army of hybrid Viltrumites, and I forget what the insects uh, that he mated with in order to breed all, this entire army of, you know, Viltrumites in his service, um, basically he... He went to this planet, he found this species that's incredibly short-lived, but they age super fast, and he just, he just, he just humped like crazy until yes. he had enough kids that aged up super quick to become, you know, his, his child soldiers. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who listen to this podcast, you know how much we love child soldiers here. Do we love them? I don't know. We certainly talk about them quite a bit. That that is true. It's it's something that's kind of hard to avoid when when yeah. we consume the fiction that we consume. 
I don't know. Maybe there's just putting it. <laughs> maybe there's maybe there's just something about stories that that uh I don't know un- that we're subconsciously or unconsciously drawn to stories that feature a lot of <laughs> child on child, child soldiers. Child soldiers. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Thrag and his army are they're they're about to engage in a battle in the first arc and um. And what we discover is that Alan the Alien and the Coalition have been secretly planning a way to trick Mark and Adam Eve into re-engaging in the war. But unfortunately, their trick cost the life of his brother Oliver. This this was something that surprised me. It happened very quickly because... And, and I do feel like it was something that happened because the series was coming to a close. Because in the last book we discover that alan the alien had orchestrated this whole thing in order to again to to get mark to to re-engage with all of the problems that are going on in the the galaxy or the universe i Mm -hmm. I forget which is bigger but what ends up happening is right at the beginning of the book alan comes clean straight to mark and he just straight up tells him he goes I planned this whole thing, and as a result, your brother is dead. And I just feel like if the series had gone on a little longer, that would have been something they could have played for drama, where, you know, maybe Alan would have tried to hide it, and Mark would have eventually found out, and it would have been one of those moments, story moments, where this rift uh, between two old friends suddenly appears, and, Mm -hmm. you know... It's it's basically Obi-Wan going, I loved you! You were like a brother to me! I hate you! Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could have seen that in Invincible, but I just felt like because, um, again, this was the last year of the story, like, they just... It was an interesting curveball to have just Alan the Alien come out and tell him, hey, man, I just want you to know, like, this is all my fault. I planned this whole thing as a means of tricking you to get back into this war. So that was interesting. And as a result, they invincible or Mark is engaged in the war, but now they're the, the immediate threat is thrag. So, and the, the immediate uh, thing that they want to deal with is getting revenge on thrag. So thrag is on his way to a coalition uh, location and they just totally, attack uh thrag's forces and lead them away from that location and lead them to earth so that they can have a final showdown and that's where the first uh trade paperback begins or Mm -hmm. that's where that that chunk of the story begins i want to go back to what you were saying a few moments ago about alan and the conversation that he had with mark because i think the the interesting thing about Alan deciding to be honest in that moment is not only that it kind of expedites the plot and skips over some drama, but I actually think that's probably the more logical way to approach things. Because in so many of these kinds of stories, we usually see the other one of the parties keep that secret, and then you know that's how the drama escalates. Yeah, yeah. You know, we always see things. Uh, things always compounded. go wrong because someone tries to keep it from someone else. 
Right, exactly. So for for him to decide to be honest, I I think that's it's it's interesting because it's so it feels like it's pretty rare to see in not just in comics but a lot of a lot of fiction in general. It's the kind of conversation that you expect a couple of mature adults to have. I mean, obviously in this one there's still a little bit of superpowered violence because of the anger that occurs when when Mark and Adam Eve learn uh, what really happened. But just the fact that dude tried to be honest and he wasn't, you know, he didn't try to defend himself after Eve got upset. You know, they, they were still able to have that conversation and, and eventually cool off. So that that's something I actually appreciated quite a bit. It's mm. it's a little bit more, more, I guess I would say mature because the character's act a little smarter and a little bit more logical, a little bit more considerate of their own allies or even their friends. And it it didn't really need to stoop down to manufacture additional drama because I think there was already plenty of drama all around them anyway. So Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean in retrospect, you're right. Uh, I do think there's a universe, certainly a universe or a world where when something like that happens, there's, there are people who will most likely just be upfront about what happened. Mm -hmm. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah, totally. But I just, yeah, and like you were saying too, like we knew that these were the last, uh, issues, you know, like we knew that there were only 12 issues left, so... There wasn't really a need to to cram in even more than what he could fit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. You you'll yeah. never concede that I made a good point, but you will always acknowledge that I said something. Drew, you've known me for many years, and one of the things that is on the very top list of descriptors of me is that I'm massively petty. You are, you are, you you are the, you are the master of that, dude. You, I am the, the Michael kind of Jordan of petty. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you took it personally. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, yeah, that's that is certainly the case. Yeah, but what what ends up happening is, you know, there's this giant massive battle that ends up happening. Uh, part of their reasoning. Uh, the logic behind their reasoning for leading the Viltrumites to Earth, uh, to, for leading Thrag to Earth, is that, uh, as we've seen in previous issues, the Viltrumites, the 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 remaining Viltrumites that were originally under Thrag, had now moved to Earth, and they've all tried to start new lives uh, with families and, uh, you know, children, and they're they're just trying to re regrow the numbers in their population mm-hmm. so um early on uh omni-man was saying that he w- even though he's the emperor of the viltrumites he wasn't going to force them you know away from their loved ones in order to go fight thrag where they were but the plan was essentially to lead thrag and his army to um to earth to earth yeah and once once the threat was right at their doorstep 
they would have to be faced with the choice of whether they would fight to defend their new loved ones and their new families or abstain. And obviously, like any reasonable person, once the threat is right there, they'd have to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, Couldn't ignore it at that point. Exactly, exactly. And what we see is just this massive battle in space between uh, this army of this this child soldier army of of <laughs> young nubile uh, 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 prepubescent and maybe pubescent viltrumites versus you know a substantially smaller force of seasoned and older viltrumites pure blooded viltrumites mm-hmm. as well as their uh, other composite forces that ex- exist on the planet yeah and the coalition allies and everybody exactly so do you want to talk about what was happening over the course of the fight a little bit because it 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 was a pretty deceptive comic in the sense that on the surface you could look at it and just see it as this giant battle you know um mm-hmm. Which which it definitely is, it certainly was, but there was also a lot of things going on beneath the surface that I think requires additional attention. Yeah, it was definitely a massive scale epic battle in in space. I think just the sheer amount of forces in play makes it impressive. It's 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 essentially an army of like weaker supermen fighting an army of stronger a smaller army of stronger supermen yeah so just the chaos and the amount of uh force and violence that ensues out of that is it's quite a massive spectacle it's the kind of spectacle that makes you it's the kind of spectacle that that sort of defines superhero comics you know like you always have smaller skirmishes and normal battles but eventually you just kind of want to watch everybody cut loose with their powers when you read these kind of stories and there is no there's no lack of it here and it's not just that the characters cut loose but you you really get a chance to see ryan otley cut loose yeah he he has a there's a double page spread where you see thrag and his army of children flying at you and otley just draws like hundreds of of child soldiers man it's it it's, might even uh, be more it could even be like thousands yeah it, it must you have know? taken him so long to draw Thrag that. was he had a stamina level of like seven he was just you know there was a lot of hip action going on you know what i mean he was gyrating constantly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, his, his he, hips his hips he produced a lot of kids yeah, his his hips must have been just uh like a turned up to dial eleven, just egg beaten constantly, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's uh pretty pretty unfathomable. He could have populated his own planet solely with his offspring. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You got it. You got it. Yeah, that that's how many are flying like in his army, you know, and they're all none of them can be that old. Like the oldest ones have like pencil teenage mustaches you know like they're these are all definitely 
people that are too young to be recklessly throwing their lives away in a battle that they don't even probably really care for. They're just doing it because he's their dad. Yeah, they're. I, I guess one could say that, uh, you know, there are so many of them that there's a chance that they might not all share the same motivation. But it seems to be that they're just doing this to please their father to get his approval, mm-hmm. because that's how he raised them, and uh, and unfortunately for them, they will never get his approval because. He literally just sees them as cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, when when as the the mayhem is going on and everything's going crazy, there there comes a point where uh, Thrag is fighting with uh, Mark, and you know they're they're punching each other, but they're just going all out, and Thrag just starts grabbing kids and just starts throwing them at Mark. Or, yeah. like, swinging them at Mark. And he doesn't care that, like, when he hits Mark with them, that they just explode on contact. But yeah. he just keeps grabbing more kids and just using them like human bats. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Like, it, it's pretty violent, but there's something comical about it. It's ridiculous, you know? It's I super mean, like, ridiculous. If I saw that in real life, I... I'd be pretty disgusted and I would find it pretty abhorrent. But seeing as how this is all fictional and a comic, it's like cartoons. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Exactly. When when he, when his he's child soldiers are coyote and get he's getting an anvil dropped on his head. No big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's not funny about that? Yeah. Right. It, it, it's to the point where when these child soldiers they haven't you know they're not fully mature so they're not as strong as a as a real pure blood Viltramite. So yeah. when they're fighting Omni Man, they're they're straight up flying at top speed and crashing into him to punch him. But Omni Man is so strong, they just turn into paste when they crash into him. Exactly. Exactly. They're just a teardrop. They're they're just stains. It's Yeah. They're just covering him in their blood. So I I guess it makes it harder for him to see, but Yeah. It's pretty it's, futile. It's, yeah, it's a reckless waste of life. They're just yeah. throwing their lives away. And one of the interesting things that eventually happens is that the the one girl, uh, Ursal, I think that's her name. Yeah. She's, she's like Thrag's. I don't know if she's she's one of the few kids that he's actually bothered to learn her name because yeah. I guess she's, she's one of the one stronger of the few, ones. Yeah, she's the one that we as a reader have a name and a face for <laughs> out of mm-hmm. this mass of just bodies. Yeah, yeah. So you start to see her realize that her father really doesn't care about her or any of her other uh, brethren. You know, like she starts yeah. to see that uh, they're just all cannon fodder. And at some point, when the battle, especially when the battle is not turning in their favor, she realizes that there isn't really a whole, there isn't much point in continuing to to kill themselves for his sake when yeah. he's. He clearly doesn't have any regard for their lives. They are just, they're just, like you said, like human baseball bats to him, you know, or, yeah. or baseballs that he can throw at people. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit more too, just how she, the the way that they show how she eventually comes to this conclusion is the way that uh, they they show it in the comic is 
you're watching as the Viltrumites are fighting in, uh, alongside with the, co- uh, the coalition forces and uh, any of the forces that are on Earth. And uh, she's observing their interactions with each other. And even though they're in the heat of battle, there's, I think you can say that she's moved by just the, the care and regard that they show for each other, their teamwork, you know, mm-hmm. the way that they watch out for each other. And then she looks over at um, Thrag and he's just clubbing uh, Mark over the head with the corpse of one of her brothers. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty sobering moment. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's super sobering. Like there's, there's one specific moment I'm looking at it where she's in the middle of fighting Alan, the alien and this is the moment right after Thrag has really messed up Omni-Man. Like, he's he's punched through Omni-Man's body and, and kind of uh, torn, him, torn him open. And Nolan, I mean, uh, Alan sees Nolan floating in space with his body kind of ripped apart. And a tear comes out of his eye and he, he says, Nolan, my friend, please no. You know, like, or I guess he thinks it telepathically Yeah. in space. And he immediately, like, quits fighting Ursal and flies to his friend's body just to see if there's any any hope of life left. And when she sees that, she she hesitates. Like, she probably could have gone in a sucker punch on him as he turned his back. But yeah. she she was just not expecting him to care about an ally who was, if not already dead, pretty close to, to dying. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and then from there, she just starts seeing the the rest of the cast that that happens, and and how much all the people on the other side are trying to help each other, and and uh, you know, even even the ones that wouldn't necessarily be friends, but but they're they're helping each other. You know, she sees all that and realizes that it's not really worth throwing yeah. her own life away. You know, it's not worth yeah. throwing the lives of, of all her brothers and sisters just to fight the battle for a guy who clearly doesn't care about them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So you mentioned that in that scene, Omni-Man basically gets his chest punched through Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's floating off in space. He's about to die. Uh, But that leads into the next sequence, which is Mark Grayson seeing this and getting super, super pumped up for it. And he decides this is it me and you, you know, and it, the, the next, like just crazy sequence. Like we've, we've talked about this in the past, how this series is just constantly finding ways to escalate the battles. Just once you, even though we think there's no way to top it, it finds a way to top itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Mark attacks Thrag. He, he basically tells him, this is it uh like we're gonna handle settle this between me and you and he flies him into the sun and the final sequence of the battle is just the two of them pounding the crap out of each other in the sun what's more epic than that (laughs) yeah issue 140 it's it's one long extended fight sequence with mark and thrag in the sun (laughs) yeah like this is truly the ending of the series because how do you top that at that point? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's you a know? climactic moment for sure. 
and and it does feel like everything that comes after it is is just an extended uh resolution but this this fight scene in the sun it it's a pretty fascinating issue just from a craftsmanship point of view because number one they're in this unique setting there aren't there isn't really a whole lot of need for drawing backgrounds or anything it's yeah it's primarily just it's just all fire and, and light and fairbairn <laughs> yeah they're you know the coloring does a great job selling the intensity of everything and you have mark and thrag at in the beginning of the fight they have these little uh communicators in their ear that that allow them to to communicate uh i guess i don't know it's like radio telepathy or something so they're they're able to like talk to each other a little bit but the longer they're in there in the sun the that little device that they have uh burns out so they they're not even talking after a while they're both like burned up they're just they have no skin and they're just throwing haymakers at each other and yeah and you know fighting for their lives at this point and it becomes a story where you see mark who's barely identifiable as as a person <laughs> he's just like this burned thing throwing fists at the other thing he's you a have charcoal cat <laughs> yeah exactly he's a charcoal cat <laughs> There, there's just a, a narration from him where he's, you know, telling us what's going on basically, and and uh, yeah, I thought that the writing here in this sequence was particularly well done. It's just a scene of Mark not only talking, he's not really talking about his moves or what he's doing or anything, but he's there's something like a thematic quality to what he's describing because he's talking about how how as they're fighting each other they're they're not even really fighting their fight is more than just trying to kill each other you know it's it's almost like yeah. this battle of ideologies at this point they're these are two abstract concepts fighting each other and yeah, yeah, yeah. the the viltramite concept the thrag's uh thrag represents the viltramite concept of conquest and domineering strength. power strength yeah. whereas mark represents this new ideal you know he's he's still viltramite but he it's not just about physical strength yeah it's it's also about understanding what compassion is learning yeah. what mercy and forgiveness are it's and, corny but it's like it's also the idea mm-hmm. of like friendship and family and yeah. like how these things are or what gives him his strength, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and it's like what what better metaphor to show in the ideological battle between love and hate than to have two guys fighting, you know, yeah. like literally fighting. <laughs> I mean, that's how I intend to give my wedding vows. <laughs> You're just gonna punch. Punch the I'm other just person gonna, into like, submission. Just trade haymakers with yeah. my wife. <laughs> <laughs> this is true beauty. <laughs> yeah, but, it's um, it's kind of the beauty of superhero comics, man. Like this is the only, yeah. this is probably the only genre I can think of where you can do something like this, where you have two guys fighting in the heart of the sun, while still telling a story about compassion versus 
hate or compassion versus conquest or you know whatever however you want to dice it up and and label the ideologies that they represent but it's it's just two two different ideas combating each other but it's not just on an abstract sense it's in a it's manifested in a literal physical sense as well yeah 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 there's even a line while they're fighting towards the end where mark and thrag at this point in the story their communications devices are degrading because of the the heat from their environment but i don't so i don't even know if they're like hearing each other at this point but we as the reader we're we're hearing what's going on in in their thought process and mark is talking to thrag where he's he's saying that you know all you've ever done is just fight for yourself you know and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day like that's that's what you were doing is you know you were fighting for yourself and as a result you you think you're over here holding up uh what it means to be a viltrumite when really what you were doing was holding them back Mm -hmm. and when Mm -hmm. you look at me and again this is this is kind of it's it's a little corny. It's kind of like a like a Pokemon sort of scene or something. But where where <laughs> he goes, and he t- I didn't know you were into Pokemon. I'm not into it, but I've I've seen enough of it to to know like some of the the general ideas or themes that they go over in the show. Okay. But you know, but he has his moment where before he gives his killing blow or whatever, where he talks about how, but. I'm here and I'm succeeding because I fight for my family and I fight for my loved ones and you know it's 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 pretty glorious even though it's a little you know like I said a little corny but there's there's still a beauty to that notion right mm-hmm. and then you know he 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 puts the final uh period on that thought by ripping the neck out of thrag with his bare teeth <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. The, the very panel where he rips out thrag's throat with his teeth the caption says we can love and be loved <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing right in in addition to that like so you he at this point he's willing to die he he's he's resigned himself to the knowledge that i'm gonna kill you but I'm willing to die for my friends and family here in in the heart of the sun. And mm-hmm. in that moment, a uh, robot sends one of his drones in to yeah. give up its armor to shield him and even like get it. No, well, no. Okay. Before he kills Thrag, a uh, robot sends in one of his armor, uh, one of his drones to shield and protect him and advises him a couple of minutes so he can like fight just a little more, right? Yeah. And then once he bites Thrag's throat, he's resigned himself to the fact that this is it. He's killed Thrag and he's probably going to die in the sun, but at least he was able to save everybody else by doing it. And what happens? Alan the alien comes in there and he like flies him out of the heart of the sun, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's just an ex- it's an execution of the idea that right there on the page as we see it like it's true like mark has his friends and his allies 
even his enemy helped him. Yeah, even his enemy helped helped him. Exactly. Exactly. Those people um, were... uh, Well, yeah, I guess you could say that they were moved by his... His... uh, Inspiration. uh, Mm -hmm. And his example. And in the end, that was the thing... That was what he was talking about, was how the idea of his inspiration and his example would lead ultimately lead them all to being the best versions of themselves, better versions of themselves and how it would lead to a new Viltrumite empire that will cast aside the, the old notions of strength and brutality as the, the foundational cornerstones of their society. Yeah. Yeah. And it it all goes back to that point of, being able to care for other people, you know, like that, like Mark wouldn't have been able to win that fight if other people didn't genuinely care for him. Cause it's, it's like, he still had allies, man. Whereas Thrag, all of his children yeah. ended up abandoning him, you know? And, and yeah. that was, that was the difference maker. Yeah. It, it yeah. kind of reminds me of this scene in Mass Effect 3, the video game, in the Citadel DLC, there's a story there where your main character, Shepard, fights a clone, an evil clone of himself or herself. And at the very end of the battle, after you defeat the clone, uh, the clone asks asks you, like, what makes you so special? Why why does it have to be you who gets to be the hero while while nothing happened? While I can't do, you know whatever I want to do. Why can't I be, why can't I be you basically? And yeah. And what you see at the very end of that story is that the clone shepherds allies all abandon him or her. And your character, your shepherd has a whole team of allies who are willing to help you and sacrifice their lives if, if need be. And, and that's what, that's what separates the two, you know, like it's like just that idea of, of two two powers that are so so great and have so much intensity and force but one side has has allies you know has friends not just allies but friends and loved ones exactly and and that's that's the difference maker yeah thrag could have yeah, pumped his I mean, like, way into an ally exactly exactly and and like you said yeah maybe maybe that's a, a corny idea but i don't know man there there's something something pure and and yeah you know kind-hearted about that i don't exactly i don't don't necessarily think something is corny just because it's it's kind you know like why why do we live in this world where anything that is uh sincere or or honest and not ironic why, why is all that stuff looked at as as corny well, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where yeah. I think it's it's really more about the execution of of the idea because yeah because I don't think ideas in and of themselves are are corny it's it's just the execution and and how they're presented and and definitely there's a way to present the idea of, of friendship saving the day as you know that that you could do that in a really corny way mm. but I think being able to integrate those ideas and and themes directly into a spectacle of an action story that that takes skill and and it's yeah. it's not easy to do because if it were easy to do then you know we yeah. wouldn't be 
pointing out other things and calling them corny, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't saying corny in a mean-spirited kind of way. Like, I don't think something being corny is necessarily bad. Like, it's just what it is, you know? So I can acknowledge that something is corny but still good. Yeah, thanks for acknowledging that I said something, Albert. (laughs) I'm constantly acknowledging that you say things but not necessarily validating them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I can't wait until you have kids, man. Yeah, man. I totally want to create an adult who's just going to be an emotional wreck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm basically Thrag at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You would would throw your kid at other people. (laughs) Yeah, man. That's what they're for. <laughs> they are there so that I can throw them at another human being that is attacking me so that I can buy more time for me to escape. <laughs> the needs of the me over the needs of the any. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate lesson from Invincible. <laughs> no, but I, I, I... It's like I said, like, I... Conceptually, I do... Even though I acknowledge that it's it's there's something I, like I don't have any other way to describe it other than corny, but I like I don't think it's bad either. Like it's it's mm-hmm. a I I agree that it's a pure concept, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's something that um when it the way that it played out in the comic, it works. It makes sense. And I, yeah, so I, when, when I said corny, I wasn't uh, disparaging the comic is what I'm saying, you know? Right, uh, right. You know, so I assume that, you know, your response was just to some straw man, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I think I just wanted to, since you had brought up the, the word corny, I, I, I felt like I had to address it in, in some way. I wasn't trying to... Uh, I wasn't assuming that you were saying that it was corny in a bad way. I just, I guess yeah. I just felt like addressing the idea of corniness. Yeah. And to be honest, I do, I, I bet there's a type of comic book fan out there who would read that and they would take it, they would take it to be corny in the most disparaging way. Like it wouldn't surprise me if there was someone out there who was disdainful of that idea of, friendship friendship and kindness is is the thing that gives him the strength to you know punch his way through uh, a, a a fight that he has no chance of winning how's that yeah. believable you know that's true so, although if there is somebody out there who reacted that way when they were reading this i would i would really question that person because yeah. this is like issue 140 you know yeah like what why would you read that deep into a series and and still be that disdainful of of you know so are you the stuff that would me happen? There isn't a kind of fan who would continue to read up to the last issue, in spite of the fact that they're just such cynical bastards that the comic has no real appeal for them other than for them to disparage. Are you saying that that type of person doesn't exist? I think it's more likely that people who <laughs> didn't like Invincible, the comic, but continued to buy it, probably bought it out of a sense of OCD, 
completionism where they uh-huh, felt like uh-huh. I've got like the first 10 issues. I might as well just keep buying over and over, even though I'm not liking this comic. I'll just keep on buying it so I have a full run. I don't want to have any gaps in my collection. I bet I'm you invested there's, already. Yeah, I bet you there's a person like that who who bought every issue of Invincible and only read a fraction of them. Right. Well, I, I what about that? that more likely. What about that comic book store guy in Invincible mm-hmm. who's talking about how he hated the books that he was reading in the story, but he just continued to collect them nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know if everybody would still read them, but they would certainly collect them. Like the people that, yeah. that started reading Invincible in the beginning and, and bought every issue and, and liked it, but then got to a certain point where they thought it fell off the, you know, they, they thought it jumped the shark or whatever you want to call uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they lost interest, but they continued to buy it just out of a sense of completionism. But just because they they buy it, I don't I don't know if they still read it, man. So uh, it, it would it would I mean I bet out of like all the thousands of people who bought Invincible, there's got to be like one person out there who was hate reading it all the way through. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm curious as to as to who that person was and what his mentality was. I I assume that that person is a mental midget of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to actual little people. <laughs> uh, Earlier, before we uh, recorded, before we started recording, you did mention something I thought was interesting about the fight between Mark and Thrag and the Sun, but you said something about how. Uh, it would be interesting to think of that scene as something where we could look, we as the reader could look at it as Viltrumite society as a stand-in for for our society, and mm. and how uh, I guess again it goes back to those different uh, philosoph- life philosophies or ideologies yeah, that, yeah. that they have. So you want to uh, elaborate a little bit on that idea? Yeah, it was something it was a thought I had like I was when I was reading this uh this final arc, uh I was reading it pretty late at night and you know, once you're once it's that late, sometimes you just play around with a bunch of different ideas and not necessarily everything uh not everything always makes sense or even applies, but it's certainly something that I thought of. I I wanted to do a little bit of of background checking just to see like if the time period synced up and there was a part of me that was thinking about it and how just I'm not going to try to make everything political or whatever uh, but sometimes my mind does go to certain places and you know I think it's fair to say like looking at the state of society now and just how discourses and just how people have uh gravitated to their to their sides or whatever um Mm -hmm. we're in a very polarized society exactly exactly right i i wonder i wonder if that had any sort of an impact on just what robert kirkman was trying to say in this uh you know again we we have these two uh i guess diametrically opposed ideas that are are on display here in in this final arc and one of them is the idea that, oh, like strength and dominance, uh, like you, you shouldn't, 
you your your focus shouldn't be to earn the love and respect of the people that occupy society with you. It should be to dominate them and to make them do what you tell them to do. Whereas Mark's, uh, you know, as represented by Thrag, whereas Mark, his entire ethos is essentially, like we said earlier, like, you know, we, he is at his strongest because he has the love of his friends and his allies and because he loves them back and because he's willing to uh, sacrifice himself and so much more for those things, for those things that he loves, right? Mm-hmm. And it just was something that, as I was reading it, it made me wonder whether whether Robert Kirkman took any of those, or whether like any real-world events affected him in such a way that he felt that this was the, the note and the message that he wanted to communicate at the end of this series, you know? Right. Um, so that 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 was the thought I had. Like it's something that I'd have to investigate further to to really clarify if that's the case. Um, but it it's something I'd be interested to see uh, or to hear whether you know, especially things in recent years, whether he was affected by those things. You know. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Did you have do you any? Think, uh, go ahead. Do you think there's a do you think Mark's argument is weakened at all with the knowledge of what he's done in his past? I mean, he was kind of indirectly responsible for the deaths of, you know, tens of thousands when he freed Dinosaurus and all the stuff that ensued after that. Um, or do you think it's fair to say that in the years that have passed since he did all those things, He's actually learned from his mistakes and grown. I mean, it feels weird to say, like, causing the deaths of a bunch of people is something that you can learn or grow from. But, yeah. again, we're looking at a piece of fiction, so yeah. I think it's it's okay to, to phrase it like that or to look yeah, at it yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. It's because if we looked at it in terms of a real thing that happened, it's hard to forgive that sort of thing, right? I mean, it uh, conceptually, the idea of forgiveness is, I think, all around better for the soul, better for people. But there are just certain things that are pretty hard to forgive, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a hard thing for any person to be capable of, depending on the severity of of the wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, like when we apply it to to invincible and to just what kirkman is trying to say philosophically i i i probably say that i probably say that if mark is a stand in for your average flawed human being your individual it makes sense that he as a person is capable of mistakes as we all are it's just that when he's a superhero, his mistakes are that much higher and that much... They're amplified. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's just a matter of... And and like all of us, even, although our mistakes are some, some substantially smaller in terms of scale, when we do make mistakes, it's, it's something that we live with and it's something that you would hope that we're capable of learning from. And mm-hmm. 
living with that means, of course, obviously living with the consequences of that. And so, for example, uh, someone like me or you, you know, you get into a car accident and you damage some property, you know, hopefully no one gets hurt, but you still live with the 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 consequences of that you you live with the the damage you live with the any harm that you may have committed it's something mm-hmm. that you hope uh affects you and changes you moving forward so that you don't do those things again mm-hmm. and i would probably apply that to to someone like mark i would probably apply that to mark and say that yeah, like the the amount of people that died because of his mistakes, it's 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 a great tragedy and I would never insist that anyone forgive him for it, but he as a character is going to spend the rest of his days with being affected by that knowledge and hopefully all of his actions moving forward are going to be are going to show the ramifications of what he's learned from it and hopefully he continues to do right as a result of what he's learned you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so i guess in the most optimistic and in the best way possible it's it's not something where i'd say that his message is weakened by it but you just hope and uh, that anyone who makes mistakes is if they're willing to be forgiven if they're willing to spend the time and the energy to correct that that they do you know mm-hmm. yeah i don't know yeah. makes sense that makes sense yeah yeah how about you what do what what did were did you have any thoughts on 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 that message and just how it relates to um like did did that thought occur to you at all uh when you know if we if we were to take this as his final treatise or his final uh statement on society or whatever mm-hmm. like did that did that occur to you um and what thoughts did you have on it yeah a little bit it wasn't necessarily during the fight between mark and thrag but it was more about all the stuff that happened around the fight and how so much it it seemed like so much of these issues touched on the themes of mercy and forgiveness so like those those were definitely pretty pretty blatant i think i mean there's even a point near the end of the battle between thrag's forces and the coalition forces where after Ursal and her brethren surrender, she's talking to Alan, and at the end of that conversation, I think she's prepared for, you know, some kind of uh, punishment or something. And Alan asks her if she's ever heard of the, or I think he asks her if her father ever taught her about the concept of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And really, that's something that we've seen throughout the entire run of Invincible, the idea of forgiveness. It's just that at the very end here, it's it's really brought to the forefront and uh, made 
literally explicit, you know. And I think in the past, you go back all the way to to uh, the beginning of the story and the fight between Mark and Omni-Man, his father. Just that, just that whole sequence of events and what ends up happening with their relationship afterwards and how they're still able to to uh i guess basically move past it and and still love each other as as father and son there's there's definitely an element of forgiveness there yeah um, i mean omni man's relationship with with debbie uh a, a lot of stuff between mark and oliver like there's this constant ongoing theme of of people who who care about each other doing things to hurt somebody else and yet somehow they're still able to uh forgive each other and not hold a big grudge and they're able to you know stay stay together as as family or friends or um you know and and maybe maybe they don't have the most harmonious life or relationship going forward but they're not they're not at each other's throats or they're not uh they don't think of each other's as as enemies anymore, you know. So I think it's something that we see throughout the series as a whole, and to see it really brought to the forefront at the end here, it, it's pretty interesting, man. There's, I thought it was it was pretty emotionally satisfying, like the whole scene yeah. at the end after the battle's over. Omni Man, he's still clinging to life after getting ripped apart by Thrag. I mean, he's he's about to expire, but he he's able to to get patched up and hang on long enough to give some final parting words to Mark. Essentially, yeah. tells him that he's proud of everything that Mark has done, and that Mark was the one who changed him, and he believes that Mark can change the Viltrumites moving forward. Like that whole scene is essentially. Uh, talk about redemption and redeeming the Viltrumite people turning them from these galactic conquerors who who murder and abuse their power to control everything and everyone and turning them into a force of of good you know again as as corny as that sounds they're they're gonna be people of of peace and people who protect instead of people who uh, make war and destroy Conquer. things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's that, there's that whole transformation that happens, and I think in a way you can look at it as just something that occurs when, when people have the the willingness or the capacity to to forgive and uh, you know show mercy to to the ones that probably don't really deserve it. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing that that changes lives. Mm. Yeah. And I might have missed it, but hearing you talk about this, about the the idea of forgiveness, it also reminded me of um, another, like, lingering plot thread that was resolved was the relationship that mark had with the other viltrumite what's her name anissa mm-hmm. 
And, you know, that was something that had been brewing in the background because she, she, well, she forced herself on him. There we go. And, uh, and their entire relationship was, and when I say relationship, I don't mean like a romantic relationship, but I just mean their, um, their, their being interpersonal in, dynamics. Yeah, their interpersonal dynamic as it relates to one another is is based on this original sin of what occurred between them of her um forcing herself on him and uh and we we see that come to a close uh that that resolution in in this final arc here. So it was if if forgiveness is uh, one of the the larger overarching themes of of the series that that totally makes sense when now that you've mentioned it you know because mm-hmm. um, we see that out of out of the uh, the incident that occurred uh, she ended up with a child and um, and you could also see that in the time that's passed she's become she's become a member of uh earth society she's raised a family she's had another child and she lives with the guilt of what she did and it's a pretty terrible thing to do to another person and and yeah and i i think this goes back to what we were saying about mark uh as well uh and how you know what she did wasn't something that she could take back and unfortunately yeah yeah she was it was something that she was going to live with mm-hmm. up until her final days and um and i don't know that she necessarily got the forgiveness uh that she would have wanted towards the end but we we see how mark's relationship we see his attitude towards her after the fact, and we see the relationship that he builds with the son that mm-hmm. came from 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 his rape, and yeah, and we see that um, you know life finds a way, nonetheless. You know, like yeah. I don't know if it was an overt or an official forgiveness of 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 what happened but you know they they found a way to reconcile their being with one another you know yeah yeah there wasn't it wasn't like there was a moment where mark went to her grave and said i forgive you or anything yeah. like yeah, yeah, that yeah. but it, yeah in in a way i think uh the scene between anissa and eve and during the battle in space anissa yeah. got torn up and eve tried to well she got torn up trying to help eve yeah because eve was in danger and then uh you know when the danger when the danger was uh dissipated eve tried to uh bring her back to the ship's medics but you know it was too late but during during her during anissa's final moments she and eve were able to have a conversation and i think just the simple fact that they both tried to help each other uh when their lives were in danger i think i think there's a you can you can read that as 
yeah, forgiveness certainly. on Eve's part. Because certainly. there was that other scene earlier in a previous volume when she learned what Anissa did and she wanted to fight her in yeah. the the Viltramite base. Yeah. Yeah. So, they had yeah, so this... for her to, to have that moment with Anissa, I think that that's it's kind of implicit, I think, that she yeah, absolutely. has come to peace or come to terms with, with what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just meant that I don't think she got it from Mark himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- nothing can really be done about that uh, at yeah. that point. Yeah. I mean, it was it was too late. She she didn't live long enough. But it, it definitely yeah. would have been interesting to see what would have happened had she lived. Yeah. And yeah, that interaction could have been like it's yeah. just another uh, I don't know another one of those tragedies that happens in these kind of stories. Not everyone's gonna yeah gonna survive again. It feels realistic in that sense where mm-hmm. you don't always get you know for for the, the lack of a satisfying term. resolution. Yeah, I was I was gonna say closure, but yeah, yeah. essentially you, you don't get that. Um. Yeah, so speaking of of everything that was going on uh, in this story up to this point and just how the arcs were played out, it's interesting to me that the big battle really happens pretty early. Like, it, it resolves maybe a good two to three... Oh, oh, no, maybe more like three or four issues before the actual end of the series, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of comics, what you would actually see is the final battle is culminates with the actual ending of the series but the the story continues on after that and i thought that was a pretty interesting choice on robert kirkman's part um Mm -hmm. because even after the battle with thrag even after that all gets resolved more things continue to happen um you know there's in the short term they have to deal with the fact that robot has kidnapped robot continuing to be the you know the bastard that he is uh <laughs> has kidnapped all the children of the viltramites who have been on the planet uh in, in this moment while all the other viltramites are occupied he decides to kidnap all the children and families of the of the viltramites that have infiltrated earth and essentially taken them hostage in order to use them as a bargaining chip to control the viltramites mm-hmm. and uh and so right after Thrag is killed and the battle, uh, you know, once once you presume that the threat is over, we see that all of a sudden Mark is in trouble because uh, because uh, Robot is is ordering the the Viltramites that he now has um, forced into working for him to 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 attack mark and to wipe him out as the emperor as their emperor so that moving forward robot will be controlling this viltramite force mm-hmm. and and what we see end up happening is it's just another it's another really big battle as the heroes of earth begin to marshal their forces uh in in this final battle with robot and yeah, I don't know. Did uh, how how that play out for you? Would you did you have any thoughts on that or like just on on Robot's final arc? I think it played out 
how in a satisfying way i think how it played out might have been a little bit abbreviated just because they wanted to to wrap things up maybe yeah yeah you know i don't i don't necessarily i don't really hold that against them or anything i guess yeah. if if i were really trying to be critical i would i i would point to certain things kind of making me scratch my head a bit specifically how uh adam eve and mark were able to get ursal and all of her brothers and sisters to fight on their side so easily you know yeah but it was you know, I, it was I, a I understand. weird way for it to play out <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was a little weird but it 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 was still a way to to wrap up that element of the story and and we did get one more one more scene at the end between uh, Monster Girl and and Rex, because yeah. after 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 that battle, after like the big battle, Mark finds the real robot inside one of his suits of armor, flies him out into space where he can't, he's out of range of controlling his drones, and they have one more one final conversation about their philosophies and whatnot. At the very end, Mark punches a hole through his chest but somehow yeah. manages to preserve his brain. <laughs> so, yeah. like, in the most comic booky That's fashion. That's the power of love for you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, there, there's there's still that, that sense where he, he didn't technically murder his, his last enemy, right? Like, he saved his yeah. brain, and now his brain is underneath the, the Pentagon or wherever they job. are. Yeah, yeah. They're just, it's just in a tube where he can still share his ideas on improving the earth but now the immortal and uh that dude sinclair they're they're kind of able to monitor what robot wants to do and limit place limits on his more uh i guess pragmatic or even bloodthirsty methods and they're just able to take his ideas for improving the world and apply them in a way that hopefully doesn't really disrupt uh the natural freedom or or lives of of the people i did think it was funny how even though he was a talking brain in a jar he he seemed very okay with how his how his circumstances ended up you know yeah like, yeah that was the other thing at the very end that made me laugh <laughs> it, it, it was funny man it's like yeah. huh? after all of that he's he's not gonna like number Swear one revenge. i can't yeah, he's not gonna swear revenge, and and secondly, there's there's still a part of me that that can't believe that Mark decided to save his brain. You know, yeah, like the, yeah. it just seems like it would have been the safe thing to do to completely end him forever. Yeah, because even though this he's w- in this in this tube, who knows yeah. what kind of things he can do? Like what he what if he's able to circumvent the yeah he's a genius yeah exactly he's yeah. a super genius. So what if he's finding a way to circumvent uh. Any of the programming that's meant to keep him in check. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, they they throw this line in there where he's talking with them and he's saying, in a way, the uh, robot says this one line where, oh, I, I don't remember if this is found the verbatim, but he, he says something I found it, like, dude. yeah, go. It says, he's he's in the, the tube, he's just a brain, and he says, I used to fear what I might do in the name of logic. Truth is, I think things are better this way. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then Mark says, already off to a good start. 
Yeah. It's, it's yeah. There's something. In my funny mind, that didn't that. make sense. <laughs> I was like, is your are things really better for you personally this way? <laughs> <laughs> well, like one, you're in a jar. You're one, you're a disembodied brain in a jar. So you're 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 that's not really a life right there. And two, I'm pretty sure they keep him locked away from. Yeah. Any and all people except the most trusted people to work with him. So he's he's in several layers of of prison here, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like between not being able to move and only being able to talk to like a couple of people over the course of your life, that's uh sounds like a special kind of hell. Yeah. Yeah, and there's even that one final scene in the very last issue when Amanda, when Monster Girl visits the immortal under the Pentagon and she sees Robot's brain and Robot asks her to to please wait before she leaves. Please wait. Maybe they can talk a little bit because he's extremely lonely. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he, he, I found that scene too. He, he says, Amanda, wait. If we could talk before you go, just for a little while, I'm, I'm extremely lonely. And then Amanda is at the doorway, and she turns around and says to him, "You like to tell yourself you made a sacrifice to save the world, that this had to be done, and you ended up living in a tube again, alone, like some kind of martyr. The truth is, this is the world you wanted. Deal with it." And then she just walks away, and yeah. Robot says to an empty room, "I will." <laughs> yeah that that's yeah. a heck of a resolution to their arc man yeah yeah it's uh like i'm not saying that i feel sorry for him because you know at the end of the day he was he was uh a pretty deplorable person but mm-hmm. that is not a fate that i would wish on myself for sure <laughs> Mm-hmm. exactly no way it's, it's a I'd terrible just fate. Be dead. yeah exactly exactly at, at at some point i'm sure anyone in that situation would have just wished that mark had just punched him in the chest and that would have been the end of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah but then the story the last couple of, of issues for the story and this this is the part that interests me is it really jumps out really far in time, um, mm-hmm. you know, because Mark and the Viltrumites are just such long-lived uh, as a species that you can see just years, if not decades, if not centuries go by of their lives as as the story just continues. And, uh, you know, you, you get to see what ultimately ends up happening to um, Marky as he remains on earth and he becomes the next invincible you see tara and just Mm -hmm. how she grows up and the person that she becomes and what her life becomes like Mm -hmm. uh you know in the context of whatever the new world and the new environment uh that they've established for themselves you get to see what happens between the coalition and and uh the viltrumites um, Mark's Viltrumites, yeah. Mark's Viltrumites, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, 
you know, we'll talk about, you know, the various uh, independent details, but I did think that was a really interesting way to end the series because with most, most comics that come to an end, it, it, it feels like there's a very like finite end to it where the end is just the character walks off into the sunset and then when, whenever the next team takes over, it's like, Oh, Hey, uh, this, these are the things that are troubling his life now, you know? Yeah. Especially in corporate Cape comics. Yeah, absolutely. But by fast forwarding hundreds of years into the indefinite future and seeing their lives play out the way that it does, it's, He's it's almost like Kirkman gave uh, uh, Mark an infinite ending, you know, <laughs> like just yeah. a definitive infinite ending that goes on forever uh, because there's so much stuff that happens there, but it all ultimately ends up working out for the best. And Mark. Mark ends up getting everything that he wants. You know, he, he ends up, it, it's, it truly does feel like he gets to live happily forever, you mm-hmm. know, if, mm-hmm. if not forever, then for whatever prolonged period of his life there is, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's very rare for a superhero to get that final happy ending because like you said, man, most of the time when when a story ends, it's just kind of a an endpoint before the next creative team takes over. But there is no next creative team for Invincible. This is exactly. the definitive ending of the series. And of course, I guess if they really wanted to, they could always go back and do more Invincible stories that are set in these different time periods. Yeah, Nothing's going to stop them from doing that because they own it themselves but then it'll still be their story you know yeah yeah like it, it's not gonna be like a marvel or dc thing where where you finish telling an epic story and it's a definitive statement on the character and then next month some other chump comes in and does a story where you know thor becomes the herald of galactus or whatever yeah yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> right 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 you know? yeah I wanted to go over some of the, you know, the minor details, uh, or not minor details, but some of the the things that they flushed out for that that ending story, just observations of little moments uh, to to fill out whatever his happy ending was, you know, um, mm-hmm. because there certainly were conflicts, um, and he, Kirkman and and his team certainly set up um, other threats, because. You know, the the universe that he builds out towards the end still it's not by any means a perfect universe. There's still conflict that exists. Yeah. Uh you see that there's a new battle beast, and then you see the the friction between uh the coalition and his Viltrumites as the coalition begins to lose influence and power throughout the galaxy, and how that ultimately leads to a war between the two and uh, and even uh within his family you see the conflict as Mm -hmm. um marky becomes the next invincible on earth and you know he grows up with daddy issues um you know abandonment issues and 
and uh, again at one point they eventually jump to that scene and you know they don't really show you what happens but you know that a battle took place between marky and mark marky mark (laughs) (laughs) dang you know the whole time i was reading the comics that didn't cross my mind at all but now that you said it (laughs) yeah i just i i didn't yeah me too it wasn't until just right now that it just struck me But there's a scene where it it was it's been it's obvious that the two of them just had this really big battle with each other. But in the aftermath of the battle, they're both sitting there, and Mark Marky talks about how he he grew up loving his father and worshiping him, even though his father was absent and not around. But mm-hmm. that worship turned to hate, you know, yeah. and resentment, and um and Mark in that moment had to basically just explain how, why he left his son on earth and how he wanted his son to have an upbringing like, like he did and how Mm -hmm. he was always proud of him. And even though, you know, he wasn't always there, like in many ways, Marky ended up surpassing him and how he's proud of him, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was another really good scene too. Yeah. It's, it's a scene like those last couple issues when we see Mark interacting with Marky, we get a lot of uh, callbacks to Omni Man's interactions with Mark as a you know f- as father and son, and I, th- I think it's interesting to see how the book, the whole series in its entirety, plays on those themes of fatherhood, because for so much of the of the story. A big element was the relationship between Omni-Man and Invincible and their dynamic together. Everything that built up to the incredible fight that they had at the very start of the series to the point where, you know, they hash things out, learn to to be a family again. And, you know, all the way to the point where at the end, uh, Omni-Man gave his last words to his son essentially telling him you know the most beautiful things that a son can can hear from a father then you have uh, all of mark's scenes with with tara you know him being her father even though he missed like five years of her life because of the fact that he was trapped in that other dimension but you you do get a lot of scenes of, of mark as a father in these last couple years of Invincible, and then these final couple issues, when he learns about Marky, he like it's like that final issue opens up the way that the uh, I think it was the first issue, or just like you know one of the early issues when when Omni Man first tells a young Mark the origin of the Viltrumites, mm. like the way that that stuff is drawn. Clearly a callback to the opening of the series, so you get to see, even though uh, Invincible himself didn't really know much about Marky until uh, you know Mark Marky had grown up a little bit, like he's still trying to to do what he can to 
be that father figure that he was that you know like kind of the same way that his own father was to him in explaining the origins of their people and and all of that it's pretty interesting to see that symmetry in the book and i think i think that takes um that or not takes it it adds quite a bit to the experience of invincible as a series because you get to see how the beginning and the ending kind of connect in this thematic way and there's this connective tissue all the way through uh of fatherhood and uh you know the relationship between fathers and 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 their children specifically fathers and sons and also uh like we were saying earlier forgiveness and mercy and uh even the fight scene that you just described between Marky and Mark at the very end of it, from what I remember, um, you know, they're just both beaten up lying on the ground and Marky realizes that uh, he almost killed his own father. And he basically says, how do, how do we uh, move past this? How do we move on from what we just did? And Mark essentially says, we've got almost an unlimited supply of time. So, you know, it's like that idea of, of time healing, healing all these different wounds. And when they're family, you know, it's even even more so, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of, uh, I guess, all, all of these different vignettes in the final issue, different scenes of stuff that's happening. It, it not only gives you just enough to, to know... Uh, what's going on and, and the context of what their lives are like, but it also kind of feeds into your imagination because you're you're getting a lot of scenes, but you kind of have to fill in the blanks with your own yeah. mind. You know, yeah. like you don't you don't get every single moment of their lives. You just get a few highlights here yeah. and there, and those highlights are kind of what drive uh, your imagination to to picture what is not explicitly depicted on the page. And yeah, yeah that. That that's I think I can imagine some people not liking that kind of storytelling. Like I remember people complaining about endings that do uh, time skips, but I, I felt pretty satisfied, man. I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I I also wanted to discuss like the final panel too or I, I'm, I'm well mm-hmm. i'm gonna go into that uh the one thing that one of the moments that you discussed with uh one of the moments that the, in the vignettes was so you know the their story fast forwards to an unspecified time in the future but you know that years have passed in their lives and at one point um you see an adult version of tara and an aged version of mark and they're going to see uh, Eve, and she's she's old, she's aged at this point, and she's on her deathbed. And mm-hmm. you know, you you think um, that uh, Mark being a Viltrumite and them being as long lived as he is, that that's that's the the natural conclusion to how that relationship is going to end is uh they even talk about it early on in the series that at some point um he would outlive everyone 
and what ends up happening is as she in in her final moments as she is in the middle of dying her powers kick in and she regenerates as a, a young version a younger version of herself and you know as we've established in the series on several occasions when she's close to death her her um transmutive powers kick in and they heal her or Mm -hmm. revitalize her and i guess it counts here too so and it it ends with her going oh i guess this essentially makes me immortal you know (laughs) it's the the thing is like outside of everything when as a reader when you look at that uh, on its own in a vacuum it's it's kind of it's it's another moment where it's like it's like oh that's kind of convenient or whatever but at this point now that we're like so close to the end of the story and uh you know just knowing that Kirkman just wants to give Mark his happy ending it's it's like you know what I'm okay with that even if it's not the most clean way or or whatever uh of of giving him that like sure why not i mean i mean on some <laughs> level it's consistent with what he's already established it is because it is. because she did bring herself back at previous other points when she should have died it is it is i i mentioned that earlier so uh, like i get it it's it's consistent it's do you do you think that he had planned it that way from the beginning like did he do you think that, that he knew question. that's how he wanted her story to, to end, that she would just be immortal? So, like, early on in the series, he planted these scenes where she re, uh, rebirthed herself or, you know, regrew her, her own body in her prime, rebuilt her body when she should have died? That is a good question. I don't know. that Because if he did plan that, that's, like, incredible foresight. Yeah. To, to establish that way way before that but i don't know um i guess common sense dictates that if he included that sort of power uh, or that ability that at some point he would work that out right it 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 mm-hmm. fits very conveniently into into how that how that ending comes into being right so yeah um the logical thing would be to say that he planned it out otherwise it would be of like too much of a coincidence right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but yeah that's something where if i ever happened to come across kirkman at a con or something uh and i didn't feel like i was bothering him that's something that i might ask just 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 to know you know yeah definitely definitely curious about that yeah but jumping from that scene i wanted to go into like the very final scene of the comic Mm -hmm. uh just the last page and this is again an an indefinite amount of years in the future but you know that they're well into the future and uh mark is there with adam eve and uh tara is there and they're just lounging you know they're just uh at their home and they're lounging and hanging out and 
um, I forget what Eve says to him, but uh, Mark essentially his or uh, Mark's response is, I remember this conversation that I had with my dad uh, all those years ago, and he said that I would eventually outlive everyone. Or he he asked me what I would have in 500 years if once I've like outlived everyone, and he doesn't answer the question, but he just looks at his life. And he looks at the people that are there and he just kind of laughs to himself, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's a pretty sweet little like farewell moment, you know, like. It's again, us, uh, we're we're, like if the whole thing was just this build up to Mark getting his happy ending, uh, his final moment, it's this is this is it, right? It's a beautiful ending. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at that page and and uh it what Eve says is she says you did it and he says what? And she says you did everything your father asked. You changed the Viltrumites, you turned them into a force for good, celebrated across the universe. And then there's a panel where he just smiles and then the the final page is where he says uh he's been thinking about the past and he He's been reminded of something that his father once said to him. And then that second to the last panel, he says, it was during our big fight. He looked down at me and he said, what will you have after 500 years? And then that's when he chuckles and the series ends. Yeah. But yeah, that that's back at that scene when they, when he fights his father and his father's, you know, kind of just ranting and raving about why do you, why do you care about the people of earth? And uh you know life exactly like they're not gonna live as long as as viltrumites do and you can try and protect them but at the end of it what will you have after 500 years and that's the scene where mark is all you know beaten up lying on the ground and all he can think to say is you dad i'd still have you mm-hmm. yeah and I guess if you extrapolate on that idea, like at the sen- at the end, it's it's ideologically consistent in the sense that even if it wasn't his dad, it was his family, his loved ones, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, that was that was still true even 500 years into the future. Like when when his when he grew old, he still had all the people that he loved. Yeah. Yeah, and in some sense, his his dad is still with him. Just because, like what Eve was saying in the conversation leading up to that last line, he did everything that his father asked. His his father, when his father came back and kind of took over the Viltrumite survivors from Thrag, and they had that home on the moon, like his dream at that time was to regrow the Viltrumite people, but to change them from being conquerors into peacemongers. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what Mark was able to do. You know, he yeah. completely yeah. transformed their people. Um, and you see uh, a great example of that in the scene directly prior to the final scene. Uh, it's just that scene where uh, Mark and Tara are at this alien planet and the basically they have Terra fight their champion 
in order to uh, determine who's going to to rule their their planet or whatever. And she dispatches yeah. their champion easily because she's invulnerable. <laughs> and no yeah. matter how big the other person is, there there's nothing they can do to to harm her. And yeah. they're a, this alien monarch. Uh, attacks mark as well and realizes that uh he can't do anything that that everybody every Viltrumite is as powerful as as mark is it's not just because they have a champion who's like special or anything and he's just quaking in his boots man ready to 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 die for his impudence and mark yeah. basically tells him that, that that's not what we do yeah you know, it's not the Viltrumite way we yeah. our way is to to spare people and and make your lives better. So it, it's it's definitely like bringing utopia to uncharted worlds and and doing all these things and leaving a Viltrumite mark on these different planets, but yeah. in a positive way, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is sure. which is pretty pretty um, fantastical or fanciful, you know. That's it's 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 very idealistic. <laughs> it's super idealistic, but it, it's yeah. still a beautiful way to end the series. Yeah, yeah. And it, it totally makes sense with everything that they've been building up to up to the very end of it. It's definitely tonally consistent. So, not to detract from you know the the, the point that you made, but I I feel like I have to ask this. So, mm -hmm. at so when Tara grows up and becomes an adult, she dons Incredibles costume or something like Incredibles Invincible? costume because. Oh, in, yeah, Invincible's costume. <laughs> what comic are we talking about, Albert? Sorry, Invincible's <laughs> costume. And seeing as how Marky is the actual Invincible, what do you think she goes by? She Invincible. Lady Invincible. <laughs> invincible girl. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, but you know, maybe she doesn't really need to go by anything because yeah, those true. kind of superhero names are are just things that people on Earth do, and she, I don't think she's really living on Earth or anything. Yeah, and there's but also I just thought it'd be a fun exercise. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It it is amusing to think of. I I do like the costume design that Cory Walker gave her when she grows up. It's it's really yeah, yeah. it it looks like a great female version of Invincible's costume. Yeah, but I also yeah, liked yeah. how uh in these ending scenes when we see uh time pass by all the viltramites they they adopt uh colors that reflect invincible's costume you know they've all got the yellow yeah. blue and uh they still have the the symbol of the viltramites on their chest like whatever that logo is yeah. but they've got invincible invincible's colors now and it's it's a pretty fun thing to do you know like there's no real need to explain that or or delve into the lore of it but just to see it on the page as yeah. kind of this unexplained change, it's a nice like touch like yeah. a subtle touch right yeah exactly. how about this mm -hmm. what if she goes by invincible girl Eh, <laughs> 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 eh, eh. okay okay dude you should uh you got to hit up Kirkman and Otley and, and uh, make a pitch, man. Like, tell them that you got this idea for a spinoff, Invincible Girl. So, it 
so um, this this also leads me to another question that I had for you, and um, it was something that happened earlier on in 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 this trade. But I'm kind of curious to see if you have any thoughts on whether Kirkman had anything to say about superheroes as a concept. Because um, there there are scenes in the beginning where I forget which which scene exactly, but uh, very very much towards the beginning of this trade, there's a scene where uh, Invincible and Adam Eve are talking about superheroes, and it just ends on them saying something like, "You know, superheroes are you know we're not superheroes, or superheroes are stupid, or something like that." It's it's just it's just this very definitive statement about how they're not superheroes. Do you remember that scene? Hmm. Uh, I I don't remember that. I I I do remember when uh she gave them back their superhero costumes and Tara started laughing at them because they were they look funny. It, well, yeah, that's the thing. So even though they had that moment, um, right right there, um, shortly thereafter, they were here. They were in their you know their Viltrumite uniforms. And then what ends up happening is they, Adam Eve just on a lark decides, hey, let's try this on. And she uses her powers and she basically just puts them back in their superhero costumes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was a weird juxtaposition for them to have this moment and then for them to engage, to, to just go back to right back to, you know, their superhero gear, you know? Um. Mm-hmm. What was what did you think was strange about it? For them to so I'm 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 looking for the the exact page and to to see like what the sequence of events were, but it's just this idea that um, it ends on this note where they're on the face of it just maybe not necessarily rejecting the idea of being a superhero, but they're kind of uh well maybe in a light way they're rejecting the idea of being a superhero but then for them to lean into it like as hard as they do to to even just go back to being in costumes mm-hmm. it's i don't know it it feels counter counterintuitive like so they're, walk, I, like I, they're I going was, backwards yeah or at or at the very least that they're not very consistent in in what what they're saying, right? So, so I'm by by they. Do you I mean uh, Kirkman and Notley, or or the characters? I guess both. So mm-hmm. I guess that's that's why I was uh, curious to see if you had any like thoughts on it. Well, since you brought it up, I'd probably guess that the choice to go back to the costumes was something that. The creators probably wanted to do because at, at the heart of it invincible is still a superhero comic book so for them to decide that they're gonna end the comic with the characters donning their familiar outfits i think i think that makes sense from from a storytelling standpoint uh as far as how the characters within the story feel about it. 
I guess I just kind of took it on face value when when Eve was explaining to Tara why they dressed like that, and she said it was just you know to have ease of movement and also because the cape looks cute. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you know, the, it wasn't anything too deep to it. I guess I, I yeah, I'd probably just say it, it was a decision that makes that they that they made because it's it's iconic you know it's the iconography yeah. of superheroes where you traditional superhero comics the superheroes have a superhero costume so it, it would make sense that for the the climax of the series that's how they would look they would look yeah. they would look the way that they look in their most iconic or ideal forms mm. uh, but would you say that over even over the course of the series there's a lot of back and forth between the idea of mark being a superhero and then in embracing the idea that there are other ways to be uh, a productive member of society that aren't necessarily focused around punching or mm -hmm. kicking or whatever right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah actually now that you brought that up too i I think there is a way to read the series from the vantage point of, I guess I would say coming of age in a way. We're, we're ob obviously it's coming of age story because it, we see Mark grow from being a teenager into adulthood, but from a, a different perspective, you could see you could read the text as a coming of age tale about somebody who's completely obsessed with superheroes growing up to, into a person who knows that there are other ways to to solve problems besides the tr traditional methods mm. i mean mm -hmm. even at the very beginning of the comic i think even as far as issue one we learned that mark is a comic book fan and he yeah. likes science dog and these other superhero comics i think one of the first scenes in the comic in the series was mark sitting on a toilet reading a comic book <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he and even even in uh, one of the last issues here, he there's a a piece of dialogue where he tells his mom, yeah, he's always gonna, I'm always gonna come back and visit Earth because Earth has the best comics. Yeah, yeah. So so clearly there's an understanding and a an acknowledgement of not only comic books but specifically superheroes and everything that they represent. But I think that there is a way to read invincible the series as a whole as something that starts off presenting superheroes the way that they're kind of traditionally portrayed and then evolving into a story where uh we explore different elements of not necessarily superheroics but different elements of what it means to to do the right thing you know it's right right i guess it goes back to one of the core tenets of most superhero comics which is that tension between power and responsibility mm -hmm. so when you look at invincible as a series from that perspective you you get to see how the different levels of power he obtains lead him into taking on different types of responsibilities because when he was just a teenage superhero, he was just looking for crimes to solve. He was just mm. looking for bad guys to punch. 
he wasn't really thinking about a wider world. He it yeah. took him a while. Uh, it was a very he... short-term approach to mm-hmm. solving the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then once he once he finally got a taste of the wider galaxy and visited space and and went to these other planets and visited other dimensions and alternate timelines, he was exposed to everything that was out there. Mm-hmm. And then it, he gets to the point where not only is he just aware of what's out there, but he gets involved by being uh an important part of the the coalition he uh he becomes an important part of fighting uh an inter you know basically an intergalactic war between the coalition and the and thrags viltramites mm. then he gets involved uh with with all the stuff uh with dinosaurus and and robot and on all those instances he's he's Mark is being involved with different and varying levels of power until mm. the very end of the series where he's given leadership over the Viltramites, who at this point, when you combine not only the pure pure Viltramites that had been living on the moon, but also Ursal and all of the other surviving children of Thrag, like he's just got this crazy massive army of supermen who for the most part seem to be loyal to him and that's just an inordinate amount of power so mm-hmm. for him to to use that power in a way that honors what his father uh wanted him to do i think there's a big sense of change in how he approaches solving problems because it's it's no longer about him trying to look for somebody to punch in the face it's Mm. about him thinking how can he how can he save worlds you know he's out there trying to save planets from starvation or saving planets where the the people who live there live in this uh hostile planet and what can he do to like bring move them to another planet that has uh, that can support their their lives and is compatible with their with their uh, biology and whatnot you know like he's out there solving these bigger problems that in ways that don't involve uh dressing up in a costume and bashing someone on the head so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's definitely a a great progression in terms of growing up you know not just literally growing up from a teen to a grown man but growing up from somebody who looks at things from the point of view of your typical superhero fanboy and then exploring morality and ethics in a in a way that's a little bit more sophisticated than just uh mm-hmm. i don't know good versus evil or or stopping a, a bad guy or whatever there's there's a lot to unpack there which i think is one of the elements that makes invincible a fascinating superhero comic because too many superhero comics don't really expand yeah. on those things yeah it's they're perfectly content with just being this of just repeating the cyclical nature of that story right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i found the 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 panel that i was looking at though or, or that i was talking about so mm-hmm. it's the scene right after they get married and they fly off and 
um, so before they before they go encounter Thrag and his army, uh, Adam, Eve, and Mark get married, and you know they want to have this one moment of celebration uh, before everything goes crazy. And then they're conversing with each other, and um, at one point, Adam and Mark are together, and she says uh, she asks him to give her his wedding ring and she goes okay we'll put them back on when this is all over i don't want them getting damaged and it'll it'll give us something uh to come back to uh he says okay they kiss and then he says you ready to go kill the guy who killed my brother so we can so we can get on with our lives and she just goes absolutely you said it best being a hero is bullshit (laughs) okay yeah i remember that now yeah yeah and there's something about that scene that like jumped out at me at the time because yeah, like I said, it's it it was a very like definitive statement on it or to me it felt like it was a really definitive statement on at, or at least in that moment of like what their what what their idea of heroism was and then for them to um jump right back into costume it was yeah so it it just felt i i guess i was confused by that uh by those two things happening you know mhm mhm but but yeah i mean it it you're you made a lot of really good points there um it's just it really does feel like it's a book that's really hard to pin down as one thing even though it's it's in a very big way under the big like umbrella of like superhero comics, it's obviously a superhero comic, but there's just so many like degrees of subtlety to it that yeah, it's not easy to pin down in that one regard. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's got yeah. shades of gray and depth to it. And I, I think that's, I think that's what Eve was kind of getting at because heroes probably like the traditional idea of a hero isn't to go out and get revenge on and kill the guy who killed your brother you know yeah like like that that's a a normal natural wish i think you know a lot of people who suffer loss probably desire revenge i don't know if a lot of people actually act out on those desires but i think it's fair to say that if we're thinking of heroes in the traditional superhero kind of sense where they are these upstanding moral pillars that never do anything remotely uh mm. you know remotely bad or questionable yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly then they they probably wouldn't be motivated by by revenge, revenge. at all you know yeah. like that it's not something that's a, a pure motive or or concept so yeah yeah i mean i I definitely what eve says definitely makes sense in in the context of the story especially that moment and i I do Mm -hmm. think that the series as a whole does explore what it means to be a hero i mean clearly even even mark he's he's the hero of our story but we were just saying earlier man he's got a lot of blood on his hands too yeah yeah sure So man, you got any other th- 
thoughts or observations that you want to make? Not necessarily on this final story. I guess, if anything, uh, I, I am kind of curious as to what Kirkman's background is as a person, because him writing all this stuff about mercy and forgiveness at the end of the series, it's, yeah. it's like a, a lot of very Christian sentiments. And I, I'm... I don't think he's a Christian or anything, but I'm curious if he like grew up going to church or something, you know, like it's, it was strange, like reading it and and seeing this heavy emphasis on forgiveness that that's not really something I can think of seeing too often in a lot of other superhero comics. Yeah. I I think Kirkman might be from the South. So maybe he did grow up going to church and stuff like that. Maybe he's from one of the Carolinas. Uh, Yeah, I I forgot. But yeah. yeah, if if so, man, it probably makes sense why he would kind of uh you know have these ideas floating around in his head. Yeah, just a matter of exposure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's there's I, yeah there's a lot of like um there's a lot of like real world context that would probably help to explain just what guided his overall philosophical messaging in the book Mm -hmm. i'd be curious to see uh what 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 things influenced him as well for sure yeah totally yeah i was also going to ask you um if you had any overall general thoughts on invincible the series as a whole or maybe did you have any favorite story arcs or moments from the series i mean since we're on the last volume of this uh thought it'd be okay to look back at everything in general yeah oh like thinking back i i want to say that over the course of the 12 episodes that we did uh regarding this um this series going into it there were a lot of things that were pretty speculative and it was hard to make definitive statements on I mean, well, okay, it was hard to make definitive statements if only because, you know, I I, I wanted to see where the series would go, uh, where it would conclude or how it would conclude before I could comfortably say um, what what the what the underlying like philosophy of the series was. Sure. And, you know, although there are things that I'm, you know, things that I'm still not certain about things that i'd probably still ask kirkman about uh or 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 read interviews with kirkman in order to to be absolutely sure about Uh, i do feel confident that a lot of the uh subject matter that we covered was consistent with what we saw in the end it's like you said the the topics of mercy and forgiveness and uh you know what it means to be a superhero in the context of or in the paradigm of what superheroes have always been defined as, like those seem to be the ongoing, uh, those seem to be the ongoing themes of Invincible, and uh, just him exploring those ideas. Like, I don't think that by the time that we got to the end of the series, that it just, it certainly didn't revert back to. Okay, he's gonna go back to living at home now, and you know he's now just so 
now he's going to try to get a job and, uh, you know, he's got to keep his identity a secret. So that's it. He beat Thrag. Now, now he goes back to living his life. I mean, they didn't do that. You know, uh, Kirkman clearly wanted to define superheroics in, in terms that he thought was realistic and relatable and, definitive to himself and he i think he did that you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh in terms of favorite moments or story arcs it's it's a little tougher to say because we've read so much of it in in over the past year so like the way that my brain works i'd probably say like something like what's happening right now or this like the most recent thing that you read stands out the most unfortunately that's just how my brain works (laughs) because it's the freshest thing to me um no i mean on on some level that's a pretty big compliment too because then you're saying that it just keep it kept on getting better you know right up until the end yeah Yeah, exactly and and i do think that one issue where that one issue where they fight in the sun that issue was definitely a standout moment um, for me, and not only from this chunk of issues, but from the entire series. Yeah, like that. That issue felt like it was kind of the the heart of the argument that Kirkman yeah. was making. Invincible it presented, was, you know, distilled into yeah. one issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but I think for a lot of people they would just view this battle as the most important aspect of this of this of this uh ending right it's mm-hmm. it's just the the ability to watch the spectacle and uh the action of it all play out but i think what ends up happening is people who weren't necessarily paying attention lose sight of what was being said between the two characters right Mm-hmm. And as a writer, um, a lot of the times, it's it's this idea of wanting to get communicate a statement or this conversation across to your readers, right? So it it feels like Kirkman had this thing that he wanted to say, and he wanted to have this debate between Thrag and Mark, and the question was how do I get them to a place where they can have this conversation, where this conversation will play itself out? Mm-hmm. And what he ended up doing was, I'm going to have them have this conversation, and the backdrop of it is going to be this battle between these two titans uh, on on the surface of the sun. Yeah. You know? And it's just a really clever way to do it. You know? it's It's... It's almost like someone who's doing a play and it's improvisational in the sense that, well, they can have this conversation anywhere. We're going to have them do it on the sun while they're punching each other in the face. And I guess my one fear is that they end up, uh, not they, but that there are people who end up looking at that and missing out on what these characters are saying and what Kirkman is saying Mm -hmm. uh, for all of the action that's going on. And, um, you know, if you read it and you, you, you were just blown away by the action and it's cool action. 
but you didn't really catch those other things or what what he was saying. I, I'd recommend going back and reading it and, you know, really just drinking in and consuming um, what Kirkman is trying to say in, in, in that scene, in that sequence, you know? Yeah, totally. That issue also reminds me of another comic that I really like, which is Mike Allred's Madman. There was an issue of Madman that Mike Allred did. This was from the Dark Horse run. Madman has been around under a few different publishers, but back in the 90s, 1994, actually, I'm looking at the comic right now, but uh, Dark Horse was publishing Madman under the name Madman Comics. And if you look at Madman Comics number four from their uh, Dark Horse's legend imprint, that's a story where, I mean, without really getting into all the context of who Madman is, all I guess all I, you really need to know is that he's kind of this uh, more of a lighthearted take on superheroes and stylistic. It's kind of a zany work. character. Kind of a zany kind of character. All, like almost yeah. like a live, live, not live action, but like a, a like a fully realized cartoon character in the real world, I guess. Kind of, yeah. But anyway, in this this one issue of Madman, there's a big extended fight sequence between Madman and this this other freak. Like this this guy he's <laughs> fighting is is basically imagine like a circus strongman, like from one of those old time circuses, except this guy has no skin. You just see like the you know imagine like if his skin peeled off and he but he was still a circus strongman so that's that's what he looks like and they just get into this battle for it's not the entire issue but it's the majority of the issue and and yeah it, when it first when the fight first starts they're they have a exchange a little bit of dialogue and and they're you know kind of talking trash or whatever a little bit but after a certain point they they mostly stop talking and most of the text in the panels is these narrative captions from Madman's point of view. And he's just going off on this existentialist spiel about good battling evil and what what is the meaning of conflict. And it's it's like this really long extended existential uh, diatribe, but... If you're just looking at the pictures, it's just them fighting, and it, it's pretty funny fighting, but it's it's still fighting. But I find I always thought that was an interesting way to tell a story because the the text, the words, are not really they're kind of divorced from the visuals on the on the page. Like if you combine them, then you're getting a lot out of it because now you're getting a story from the visuals, but you're also getting this other story that that's more about like abstract ideas coming forth in the, in the narration. Yeah. And you could take either one of those, like you could just look at the, at the pictures and that would be some really good fight comics, you know, just like that issue of invincible. Or you could just take the words, and if you just read that, it would be a fascinating treatise on existentialism, kind of the same way that if you just took the words from that issue of Invincible, you'd get that battle of ideologies. But when you combine those things, that that's when something truly fascinating happens. You know, that that's the beauty yeah. of comic books. Yeah. Because you're taking these 
kind of disparate things and combining them, but somehow when you put them together, they just work. You you know, they just tell a story that that works on multiple levels. So it's like the the sum is greater than the whole because now you're you're getting like in this issue of Mad Men, you're you're not just getting this exciting, well-drawn fight scene, but you're getting that fight scene combined with Madman's existentialist musings, which kind of just adds to the to the wonder and the bewilderment of it all. Yeah, so, it definitely yeah, you, gives you, you get something a lot like that in principle. So it's amazing. Yeah, for sure, man. It it definitely gives you a lot to unpack, and mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's the it's it's sort of the the thing that makes comics special in in that once you combine all these elements together it's it's the exercise of trying to understand what they mean in combination with one another right for like for the fullest level of impact that you can possibly receive from that exactly. experience exactly you know because because i think art in general is trying to convey and communicate an idea right so if that's the, if that's the purpose of any kind of art then you know comics do that in a very special way by yeah. combining those things and it, i think it was harvey Picar who once said words and pictures you can do anything with words and pictures you know yeah. the, the the limitations are are not there with in comics you know with with enough creativity you can you can just do so much you can communicate so many ideas and concepts and present them in a way that is unique to the medium and yeah, and yeah, and even though Invincible is a superhero comic, I still think that they do stuff in Invincible that you don't see in your typical Cape comic. Yeah, and to piggyback on your Harvey Picar quote, it's like Kevin Garnett once said, "Anything is possible." <laughs> exactly, man. Well said, man. <laughs> Great scene. Watch it on YouTube. Yeah. So you 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 would say that these uh final this final story arc was your favorite story arc. What about uh any favorite moments from the series as a whole? Um, I do think. So I, I guess this is telling of the fanboy in me, but uh, reflecting on it now, like I do think the battle with uh that other Viltrumite was a pretty pretty crazy fight to the the one really old dude who was just super messed up uh conquest conquest yeah the that dude was with a the metal arm yeah that was a pretty crazy fight too or um the battle do think, where do you think conquest was kind of a tribute to cable with a metal arm i don't know that's i mean he was an I, old I guy with a metal arm yeah. dude i don't think that's where my mind immediately went and i don't it's it's still not where my mind goes with that, but if if Kirkman said if if there's ever anything that confirms that, I'd be like, okay, I'll I'll you know I'll I'll chuckle along with the joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, or or even that first battle with the Viltrumite Empire where they just fly through the planet and shatter oh, it. Yeah, there's something about that. Um, that's it's just cool. It's crazy cool, you know. Yeah, just amazing spectacle. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like emotional beats that 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 stuck with me, or or just like I don't. It's it's weird to say. Uh, that means like, you gotta just, say it. 
<laughs> I I will say that uh, Anissa's arc with oh. with Mark, there was something about that where that sticks with me. Not not necessarily as my favorite or anything, but there was something about that where when it happened, it was like, oh, I, I was, was not surprised. expecting that. Yeah, there was something yeah. shocking about that. Shocking, so much yeah. So that I was shocked. To this point, to this day, it's it's something that I still remember. Yeah, you know? you're, you're probably going to remember this f- for as long as you can remember stuff about comics. Yeah, like years from now, uh, if I haven't read in, uh, reread Invincible, uh, if I've forgotten a lot of, uh, like of all the things that I've forgotten about it, I'm pretty sure that's the one thing that I won't forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You know, like th- that's... You know, again, that's not to say that it's like my favorite thing or 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 anything like that. It's just the thing that I I'm gonna have. Uh, it's unforgettable. Yeah, it's just the thing that's unforgettable to me. Yeah, the the moment that's unforgettable to me. Um, and 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 the ensuing story, uh, development that that grew from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? I think in terms of my favorite story arc, I would probably go back to that one story about Robot and Monster Girl in the other dimension. Like that mm-hmm. that story was something that jumped out at me when I read it and even now. Like I still think back to that story as a as a highlight, which is kind of funny to think about because it's that's one of those ones that really doesn't have much to do with Invincible. Mm-hmm. Like he's it, it it was interesting to see them take this detour into like two of the supporting cast members and and have them do so much with those two characters. Yeah. But that story I thought was pretty epic because it spans so much time and uh you know there was bloodshed and lives ruined and and all of that. It it was it was a pretty powerful story that I think I'll remember and I'll enjoy rereading even if I don't reread the entire series, like that's a story on its own that I would probably go back to and and flip through and just to appreciate. In terms of moments, I think maybe my favorite moment, it it was the thing that they did a callback to on the last page of the series, but that moment when Omni-Man has Invincible at his heels and, you know, he's about to like snuff the life out of his son and he says to him you know what are you gonna have at the end of 500 years yeah and being up mark just says you dad i still have you yeah yeah that that's still a powerful moment that stood out to me when i read it the first time like over a decade ago and it's it's something that i still remember now and i'll i'll remember that man like that that was a really, really well done, well written and drawn moment. I think that's the probably the one moment that stands out the most. I would. But yeah, I there are gonna, tons, man. Yeah, I was gonna ask you one other thing that's mm-hmm. uh, in line with this uh, line of questioning, but um, I don't know if you had the same feeling as me, where towards the end of the series, it it did feel like there were certain plot lines that they uh, concluded a, a little earlier, things that they could have explored further, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Was there anything, like anything in that, uh, in, 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 
not not just in then, but in the series where you you kind of wish they had explored it a little further, or uh, any story plot lines where you kind of wish that um, mm-hmm. they could have given you a little more details or mm-hmm. or or information, anything like that. Yeah, there are a couple. The the first one that jumps out to me is we never after a certain point we never really see William again. You know, Mark's best friend from when they were teenagers. Oh yeah, good point. Like he was he was pretty much discarded. Like I think a couple of trades ago they they visited uh, Adam Eve and Mark visited him and he was living with uh, Rick, Rick Sheridan. You know, they were yeah. in a relationship and uh, you know that was kind of like the conclusion to their. Yeah, to that, you never to see him again. Character. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it kind of felt a little bit sad that uh, Mark moved on from his best pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it would have been nice just to have like one panel where you could see that even as the years went by and, uh, you know, Mark would still take some time to spend time with his friend or, you know, communicate with him or something. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting that they didn't show in the last issue was what happens to Debbie. Like they didn't really show her passing away. You know, obviously, with all the time that elapsed, she she must have been dead by the time we get to the last page. But they yeah, never really had a scene where she too. said goodbye. Like they don't ever give her a final scene. You you see the moment where she takes Marky to become a superhero to get his costume, but that's kind of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 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 So I wonder, I wonder, uh, why they decided that it's kind of, kind of interesting because she was clearly one of the most important characters in the entire run. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I was, um, one of the, the storylines that actually intrigued me, but um, we never, I never really got to see it fully play out. Was I forgot that character's name? But they were building up this story where there was another Invincible, and uh, the Mohawk one. No, no, uh, he was he was the guy who was wearing Invincible's costume. Uh, oh, right. To be Invincible, and they were kind of building up his story because he ends up killing his own parents. That's and, right. And. It never really, like, he does get a conclusion in that he basically sides with Robot, and I assume that when Robot's forces fall, he he goes down with them, but... Yeah, he was like Robot's second-in-command, basically. Yeah. Kind of. yeah, yeah, but it was never really a story... Like, I feel like they they were trying to... If I had to guess, they were trying to build a story around that, and... It just never, they just never explored that to its conclusion, you know? And Yeah, that's true. I kind of I wish that, that I, I could have known how that, how what they originally wanted to do or how that originally, or how that would have ended if, you know. Yeah, uh, that's true, man. Because that was a really interesting story. I still remember the, the page yeah. where his uh, girlfriend <laughs> clobbered his, his mother... Mom. Yeah. over the head with a frying pan <laughs> yeah like i forgot what the guy's name was um <clears throat> i think it was zandale but I, I forget too yeah but it was just it it felt like it was another uh ex, 
example of them wanting to do that idea of what makes a superhero a superhero and what makes invincible invincible right mm-hmm. and you know on the surface it might be one of those stories where you have the hero fighting an evil version of himself mm-hmm. but i'm i'm pretty confident that kirkman would have done it in a way that would have explored some interesting ideas and that would have been pretty entertaining in terms of just how the drama played out you know yeah totally totally so yeah that that is something that i wish uh we could have seen (laughs) yeah yeah even that final issue introduces a lot of ideas and and concepts that don't really get a chance to play out like what he created the they they created that female battle beast Um, oh yeah 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 and yeah i mean afterwards we do see her in like the background of a splash page when when the coalition is fighting mark's ultramites but there's also that one scene i think it was supposed to be like either an alternate version of angstrom levy or someone related to him i think it was his son yeah his son yeah yeah. so like he shows up but then like nothing never comes about of it so um yeah i don't know I, i wonder if if they kind of just wrote stuff in like that to give themselves something to go back to, if if they ever decide to go back to Invincible, they could, you know, they've well, got all yeah. these ideas that are just kind of cooked into the thing. Yeah. I mean, the thing about that would that I thought was interesting was, and, and I thought it was a pretty creative choice on their part, was... I, although, like, me and you, we're referring to Mark Grayson getting uh you know getting a happy ending and being able to walk off into the sunset and you know um it it just felt like they wanted to reiterate the idea that their world isn't by far perfect like there Mm. were still threats that exist out there yeah that um that they would have to deal with and they're they're still superheroing in in you know in in their lives after uh after thrag but yeah. like, even in spite of all that, they found happiness. They found a way to live and to thrive. And yeah, and, and those threats, you know, the the world is by no means perfect and those threats still exist, you know? That's, yeah. I, I just thought that was a, but you're right. Like in terms of ideas that they could have done more with, uh, would have been, kind of interesting to see what they would have done there right yeah yeah it, it's it's also kind of strange to just introduce these new characters and concepts in the very last issue yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but, but you're right i think it does make it feel like their world continues to persist even when we're not looking at it exactly exactly yeah what would well, you recommend to people who enjoyed invincible Uh, I think the angle that I'd have to take for the, this is just more um, more comics that that cover the teenage perspective or or you know the the teen superhero uh I guess what's the term like the analog of something like that or just the idea of that and the teen uh, superhero subgenre subgenre and, I don't know uh, yeah. The the first thing that came to me was just Ultimate Spider-Man, where it's mm-hmm. just, 
I do think that that's probably the most comparable thing because that's something that lasted very long, uh, the same as um, as Invincible. And there's a lot of evolution to the character beyond mm-hmm. uh, just being a teen superhero who probably has to keep his identity secret, maintain good grades, and, you know, um, not get rejected by the girl he likes. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it evolves beyond that at, at some point, and it goes in some pretty interesting directions. Um, the, the, the second one that came to me was uh, something like Robin by Chuck Dixon, um i think that i i don't remember how long that was i, I want to say that that was like was that 50 issues of his run maybe more uh, probably at least i don't remember off the top of my head either but he wrote yeah. robin for a pretty long chunk of the 90s so yeah it's so it's a yeah. substantial amount yeah so those are probably the the two things that jump out uh at me when 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 i'm trying to grasp at comics that are in any way similar to invincible i don't think they're i don't think robin is quite as sophisticated as invincible is but Mm -hmm. you know it's it definitely fills the same like emotional holes it's got that teenage uh superhero sweet spot where you get that mix of superheroics along with the teen drama elements exactly exactly what about you, Drew? What would you recommend? Uh, probably the same. I mean, if we're, if we're thinking of teen coming of age superhero comics, it's hard to top Ultimate Spider-Man, and I would also include uh the Bendis Miles Morales stuff mm. into the mix. I think the difference with Ultimate Spider-Man and Invincible is that Spider-Man he he doesn't really grow up. You know, the way that Invincible grows up. I think that's one of the things that makes... Yeah, he doesn't age. I think they're still growing in the sense of character development and things like that. Um, And, you know, he he still grows a little bit, but he's still... By the time the series ends, he was still a kid, you know? Like, whereas Invincible not only becomes an adult, but you get to see him in the far future when he's, like, you know, well into into living, you know, decades and decades. And, you know, the same goes with Malta Morales, relatively new character. So he's he's probably not going to age as Invincible Age just because yeah. Cape Comics, corporate Cape Comics don't really do that with their characters. They just want their teens to to remain teens. Yeah, for it's the a most formula part. that works for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's it's still a good teenage superhero comic specifically the the bendis stuff but i've I've been enjoying the saladin ahmed run also yeah Yeah. uh i really like static another 90s comic so if if people know uh the cartoon static shock static is the the comic book character so that was milestone comics back in the 90s um yeah just another great teenage superhero I think they're reprinting that stuff because DC is doing another uh, try with Milestone. So a yeah. lot of the older stuff, which was unavailable for so long, is now starting to become available again. I don't know if they're doing any nice physical collections, but I th- I think they're at least doing some kind of compendium. 
that collects a yeah. bunch of the different milestone series and they're also doing um they're they're also doing uh digital uh versions i think so it yeah. should be it should be available i think at some point soon yeah actually listening to you talk about it i i guess i would recommend one other thing um mm. uh when you mentioned when you were talking about like someone uh characters who who don't just grow or or develop emotionally but who who age in that sense mm-hmm. um this isn't a comic book but well i mean there is a comic book based off it uh but i was gonna say i was gonna recommend steven universe actually it's a it's a cartoon on cartoon network mm. it it concluded a couple of years ago um actually might have concluded in 2021 but that's a that's a series that i have a pretty strong affection for and it's uh it's a story where the character starts out as a little kid and it's very it seems very like saccharine and and cute on the surface but there are a lot of episodes that cover growing pains and uh just you know what it's like to deal with the various realities of life and um it it even comes uh explores ideas like things uh about what it's like to realize that your parents aren't necessarily as perfect as you think they mm. they are you know mm-hmm. and and the series actually does conclude with the character um aging into not not necessarily an adult he like but he he is a teenager by the end of the series you know Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I would even say that a large portion of the uh, I guess the underlying ethos of the show does focus on the idea of using love and forgiveness as a way to change your your enemies. You know, mm-hmm. like it still has there's still a lot of uh, fights. And, and battle sequences in the show yeah. but a large portion of the sh- like at the end of it all um the the resolutions usually revolve around him using his earnestness and his i guess optimism to convince your enemies uh of 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 the wrongness of their ways i guess <laughs> yeah Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's, it's a great typical. show. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Mhm. Actually, speaking of another uh, teen story that involves a lot of uh, parent issues, you just remind me of Runaways. Oh yeah. You know, another classic recent uh, classic Marvel series, Brian yeah. K. Vaughn. Yeah. Check. That's definitely one to check out because that's about teen heroes who. Uh, well, they don't really start out as teen heroes they just start out as teens who discover that their parents are all super villains yeah. and then they run away from home and that that's basically the hook of the series which is a great concept and really really works and we've we've Very talked about in, uh runaways in one of our other episodes definitely recommend it even the more recent 
series by Rainbow Rowell and Chris Anko. That was a really good series too. So I, yeah, I checked that out. Uh, reading the hardcover of Invincible in the afterward, Kirkman mentioned that one of his big influences was Savage Dragon by Eric Larson. So I, that's an interesting one to think about. I never yeah. read a whole ton of Savage Dragon. It, it's something that came out when I was a kid and Image was, you know, it was one of the Image launch books. So it was super hyped up and I gobbled it up in the beginning. And then I guess eventually just, you know, I didn't have enough money to buy every comic that I wanted. So I kind of just fell off that train. And in the yeah. years since, I've never gone back to seriously evaluate or reread all the stuff or even try to catch up. But I've yeah. read random issues here and there. Like sometimes I'll see stuff in the quarter bin and I'll just pick it up just because I like his art, Eric Larson's art. Yeah. Yeah. But from what I do know, just the idea of Savage Dragon spanning years and years, the character does change and the status quo is always changing. So yeah, I, yeah, I can definitely see why that influenced Kirkman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did buy that one image bundle and I think we got a bunch of Savage Dragon in that. So. Someday yeah. it'll be cool to go through those and you know just read them in in really dense chunks. Yeah, totally, totally. I think for people who like Invincible for Kirkman's writing, I mean, obviously The Walking Dead is the other oh, big yeah. thing from him that I would I would point to. But I, yeah. I assume that if you've read Invincible, you've already read The Walking Dead. Yeah, I feel like. Most of the time, like The Walking Dead is probably the the first thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's you know, definitely I'd, the, I'd the bigger book. It. Yeah, yeah. And as far as just alternative takes on superhero comics, I mean, there are a bunch of them out there. A lot of people have trying to give tried to give their own spin on superheroes the way that Kirkman and company did on Invincible, but maybe one series that stands out to me that I'd point to is Astro City by Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson. Like that's a series that isn't necessarily super similar to Invincible because it's it doesn't follow a single character and it's not a story about uh, a single character's coming of age and growth, but it does provide a lot of alternative perspectives on traditional superhero tropes and concepts so you know you've you've got a story that that takes a look at what it means to be like a superman type of character or a wonder woman type of character and how that affects you know what what they do in their personal lives and whatnot there's a Mm -hmm. story about uh, a teenage a kid who's learning how to be a teenage superhero but he's he's got a mentor that's kind of like a batman type that keeps to himself and isn't easy to get to know you've got like a crime superhero story about a guy that has a unbreakable skin but wants to change his life and and stop doing crime instead so you know like there's it's like it takes all these kind of classic superhero tropes and and just puts them into different different uh settings and situations so i think if you just like different kinds of superhero comics that are that are kind of familiar, but also do something different and kind of play against the idea of 
of your typical cliches, then Astro City uh, definitely does that. So I'd, I'd recommend that. Nice, nice. Good choices. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of uh, wraps things up for Invincible. Anything else you want to say, man? Uh, nothing much. I would just say, um, you know, we're we're about a day away from from uh, Christmas, so you know, I wish you all, all of our listeners, if if it hasn't happened already, which is likely the case. Uh, but by the time this episode comes out, Christmas will probably have already passed. But you know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, nonetheless. Happy New Year. Um, happy New Year. Uh, yeah. Take care of yourselves. Uh, feel free to message us on Between the Gutters if you have uh, Between the Gutters podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or uh, any comments that you want to make or, you know, hit us up on our Instagram, uh, DM us at, you know, Between the Gutters. Oh, do we want to tell people what we're going to do for our read through in 2022? Uh, or are you keeping that a surprise? I don't know. How do you feel about that, man? I'm ready to, to tell people. Just in case sure. anybody wants to start reading along with us. Give up the goat. Us. Give up the goat. All right, you know, all right. If you want, if you guys want to follow along with us, this will give you guys a chance to seek it out, read it, and that way, when we talk about it, you can, uh, you know, you can be in on the story, be in on the in on the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So next year we are gonna do something very similar to what we've just done with Invincible, which is. Assuming that, you know, everything goes according to schedule and there aren't any unexpected uh, massive curveballs thrown at our schedules, once a month we will read one volume of a series and discuss it in an episode of our podcast. So next year we are going to read a manga series called Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin by Yoshikazu Yasuhiko. This is published by Vertical Comics. It's also t- exactly 12 volumes, which made it a really ideal choice for our read-through because then, you know, you get one volume a month and you can finish the whole thing within the span of a year. Mobile Suit Gundam, The Origin by Yoshikazu Yasuhiko. Unfortunately, I don't think it's available digitally. You might have to check your local library for a hard copy or just order it. They're really, really nice hardcovers, though. Um, they're just extremely well made this is a series that was originally published in japan from 2001 to 2011 and eventually uh, vertical was able to bring it over to north america in english starting i think in 2013 and it took them a few years to to publish all 12 volumes if you don't know what mobile suit gundam the origin is i'll just give you a brief synopsis but it's based on the classic anime series and the creator of this manga yasuhiko is one of the original people involved in the creation of the show he was like one of the the direct uh animation directors or and designers gundam originally was created back in the show was originally made in 1979 so he came back you know a couple decades later to kind of retell his version of that original TV series. And it's done in a way that kind of streamlines a lot of the 
the more, I guess, the dated elements and some of the more childish elements. It's another coming-of-age story about a science fiction military kind of setting where a teenage boy ends up becoming <laughs> a child a child soldier. soldier. <laughs> Oh great, great, great! So, so yeah, so that's another reason why we gotta we, we gotta enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a whole lot of things. It's not only a coming of age story, but it, it's also about loss and perseverance and a lot of the political elements that that cause a, a war in space when it's a time period where people live in in uh, space colonies. So there's a lot of a lot of interesting political elements to it that give, uh, you know, a good reason, or I don't know if I would say good, but a, a, a good story reason for everything to be happening. And there's, it's really well drawn. There's a lot of action, romance, excitement, and even uh, philosophizing. So it's it's got a lot of depth. Yeah, I think it's a story that could appeal to anybody who's just open-minded to to trying something something new you know it's not not a superhero comic whether or not you read a lot of manga i I think if you give this a try it's definitely going to be worth your time again it's 12 volumes maybe check out uh, your local library see if they have it and we will probably start sometime in january next week what's our episode about next week albert oh uh you got me there man I think we said we would talk about some of our favorite endings because, you know, to coincide with the end of the year. Right, right, right. Sorry. I uh, I got it confused with one of our... But you're right. Since uh, next week is... Even though the episode will air after New Year's, we're, our theme is going to be um, the end of the year. So Or uh, New Year's. So we're going to discuss... You know, some of our favorite endings to stories and how uh, we thought that would be a, a, a good thematic way to close out the year. Wait, wait. You know? Does that mean that we're going to be spoiling a bunch of stories for people? Probably. Probably. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. And, it's you know, that's fine. That's fine. Like... I, I I think the people that listen to our podcast are mature enough and uh, sophisticated enough that they can handle it. It's not going to break them, you know? They are going to explore what we recommend or what we talk about for its artistic merit, and they'll want to see it for themselves, and uh, they won't throw a hissy fit. I have faith that they will not throw a hissy fit if we spoil something like that for them. Ye- y'all ain't fanboys. <laughs> All right. Well said. Well said. Okay, everybody. This is Between the Gutters signing off. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Peace out. <laughs>